This is Joe Cole, and you're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode. That's right, the London is Blue podcast, hopefully your favorite Chelsea podcast out there and available wherever you get your podcast. Phil, Dan, one of your hosts here. And no Brandon, no Nick, because it is, again, another match preview. That's right. It is a busy January, not necessarily so on the transfer front at the moment, but in terms of matches with Chelsea taking on another London-based team in Fulham this weekend. And, of course, if it's a match preview for LIBP, you know it's Sam and I getting get together to take a look at how that team is performing, figure out how Chelsea and Pochettino will try to take them on, making some predictions regarding the lineup and the score, and hopefully not being comically wrong if we predict Chelsea to do well. So, Sam, welcome back, and are you excited to chat a little Fulham today? Hey, Dan, always nice. Always excited to talk to you, first of all. Uh, The rest is academic. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping that we can bounce back with a win. We desperately need it. And uh, to the credit of the players and the team, whenever we've had a bad result, we've usually done well to bounce back. So some crucial fixtures coming up, you know, and then we have to be up for it. So I'm hoping that uh, beginning with this game, beating an informed side, we can actually go and ruffle a few feathers before we get stuck into the big ones. Well, with this game, depending upon how the other results go, Chelsea could leapfrog, leapfrog Man United based on goal difference. That's right. Even though they are at 31 points in eighth position, eighth position right now, they have a negative five goal difference. Chelsea with the plus three. So depending upon how their fixture goes, we could see Chelsea clawing our way a little further up the table. Man United do play Tottenham this weekend. That game will take place after Chelsea play. And then the team in between the two of us, Newcastle in ninth position on 29 points, uh, potentially could be leapfrogged as well with Man City playing them this weekend. So uh, we may get some help from some other teams to help Chelsea climb up the table. But before we get into everything regarding how Fulham have been doing, we just want to say thank you to everybody who helps support the podcast. That's you listening to this episode. It's you who've left five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We always appreciate that. It helps people find the show. It's the easiest way to help support us beyond just listening to the show. And we thank you so much if you've had a chance to do that. And if you haven't yet, we'll thank you when you get there. We also would love if you join us on YouTube, getting extremely close, about 100 or 200 people away at this point from having 30,000 subscribers on YouTube. If you go over there and subscribe and hit the bell icon to get notified, like and comment on the videos, we super appreciate Appreciate that as well. And then you also could sign up to our wonderful weekly newsletter that Sam does, The Dispatch, London's Blue Dispatch. It is free. It is available. Links in the show notes and the descriptions. And you can hit us up and join in our wonderful Discord community, a flurry of people joining ahead of this next match. So very excited to see what the conversation looks like. That is already a little chaotic when it comes to a match day revolving around Chelsea. That's going to do it with all the plug and admin information. So let's jump into the fact that Fulham, currently in the Premier League, not necessarily having as good a time. They are in 13th position on 24 points, a negative 7 goal difference. They have a 7-3-10 record, averaging 1.2 points per game. Their home record... 604, 18 points. Away record, 136 with six points. 
So maybe that bodes well for us in that regard. They have scored 28 goals, which is 1.4 a game. Goals against 35, 1.75 per game. So it's a minus seven goal difference there. And then their expected goals, they are overperforming that on 28 with an expected goal of 24.4. Their expected goals allowed, right about on pace, though, 34.3. And their last match uh, was a 2-1 loss at Liverpool I think in general, Sam, we would say that this Fulham team has also maybe gotten better as the season's progressed. And I think unlike Chelsea, who have yo-yoed, they are starting to maybe find a little bit more of a consistent form as the season has gone on. And would you uh, agree or disagree with that sentiment? No, absolutely. And I think this is one of the first reverse fixture pods that we're doing this season. So we've already done a Fulham pod earlier in the season. And when we were discussing that one, it was, for example, uh, we'll discuss the change in structure. But uh, just to give you uh, an idea, back then they had scored five goals in six games coming into the Chelsea game. And now they've scored 23 in 13. And and they've got two games in which they've got, uh, scored five goals. So there has been a little bit of tweaking. There's also been a little bit of rediscovery of form. Raul Jimenez, for example, who had that horrible head injury, took a little time to get going. No goals in his first 11 games. And then now he has five goals in his last seven. So they are picking up form a little bit. Um, The game against Arsenal in the league, they won 2-1. I watched the game for this preview and they did extremely well. They actually managed to unsettle Arsenal in in a hundred different ways, gave them a lot of trouble. And Arsenal really had no solutions whatsoever on the day. I can't even say that it was an undeserved win. So they did it really well. And then obviously last night uh, when we were watching the semi-finals, uh, 2-1 victory for Liverpool, but Fulham actually took the lead. Did pretty well before it sort of fell apart in the second half, which I would say has been the story of the season for them. So um, some weaknesses consistent. Some things have changed, but like you said, minor upturn and, and reason for optimism uh, for them, not for us. Well, it's it's good for some people to have optimism. I think they also played Fulham, Fulham played Liverpool extremely well in the beginning of December, too. That was a 4-3 thriller that they had that was fun. And then they've also punched up on West Ham. That was a 5-0 drubbing that they provided them. But they've also had some, you know, interesting results, I would say, too, is like they also feel at times maybe they're not the complete article that they have enough to get it done if the breaks go their way, but don't always have that luck or that hot hand as it were. So it'll be interesting to see where it all situates, how it all comes together. As we look at it, though, they are a much healthier side than we are. They have a single player that is currently listed as out, one doubtful. So it's Adama Traore who is out. It is Tim Ream who is doubtful. And uh, they do have a few that are out due to, uh, looks like, international reasons. But I think in general, they have the benefit of picking from their entire side, Sam, where we definitely will not have that same privilege. Yeah, you're spot on. I think when you mentioned, you know, five injuries or five absences, but three of them due to AFCON. And I wouldn't say that that massive, massive absences. Alex Ivobi, perhaps because he has played a lot of games. Calvin Bassey has stepped up in, in central defense for them. So two signings who've perhaps rotated and made sure that everybody gets minutes and, and the starters get a little bit of breathing space. Um, but other than this, I think 
they basically come into this game with arguably their strongest 11. So it's not like any of these absences make a huge dent to their chances. So uh, yeah, tough one for us. But yeah, I was just looking at our column and it's again 12 injuries. Um, Nicholas Jackson off to AFCON and uh, no news on the horizon. We just uh, heard from Matt on the pod. Uh, earlier about Kani Chukwumeka, about Ben Chilwell inching closer. We don't know where Wes Fofana is, but hopefully he'll be back soon. So hopefully in a couple of weeks, uh, we will look a lot better as well. Well, that won't help us for this match, but I agree with you that ultimately we are going to want that full complement of players from Pochettino and the club to choose from when they think about who that starting 11 could and should be. We're going to take a very quick break, but when we're back, we're going to get all into how the style of play has changed, how Fulham are starting, again, to be more competitive, particularly against some of the top sides in the Premier League. And we'll do that right after this break, so stay tuned. All right, Sam, you called it. This is the first reverse fixture preview pod that we've done. And they have made some changes in the formation that they've been using. There are some players who have come available that weren't necessarily firing on great form previously and that have had a chance to improve where you, where do you want to take people first? Maybe, you know, looking back to that, you know, two uh, nil win that Chelsea had against Fulham in the very early part of the season, which almost feels like a lifetime ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, seemed like more settled times for us, but yeah, I think uh, Fulham came into that game with every league game before that with a four, two, three, one. So they were pretty set in their ways. They played that formation one more time after that uh, against Sheffield United, and then they just completely dumped it out of the window. Since that, they've used a 4-2-3-1. And I think the reasoning behind that is they realize that there's not enough firepower in the side. You know, and when you've got somebody of the caliber of Joao Palinha who's able to give you exactly what you need in in a side which has to cater to a lot of transitions, then you can afford to take a little bit of risk. So I think Marco Silva um, took that risk and and tweaked that balance a little bit and said, can I afford to take one central midfielder off and and put an extra attacker on in an advanced position? And that's essentially where the 4-2-3-1 came in. So uh, like I mentioned, the goals have improved a little bit, obviously skewed by the 10 that they scored in two games but still a slightly slightly healthier goal per game ratio and and they've scored two against arsenal so um if you go against the best defense in the league and manage to come back with two goals then it does raise eyebrows but i think when you look at the dynamics some things have changed some things have remained consistent they're still a very long ball oriented side they have the most attempted long, the second most attempted long balls in the league behind everton so you'll often see them go long from goal kicks or the centre-backs trying to target Raul Jimenez up front. Carlos Vinicius is the guy who rotates. He's also very similar, likes to knock it down to the guys behind him. So when you talk about a 4-2-3-1, the wide players are actually narrower. They're almost like attacking midfielders in the half spaces. And when they go long, then they try to utilise that 4v4 in the back line or 3v4 in the back line and try to use those situations to get their goals. A lot of times you will also see switches, long switches from one side where they'll try to bait a press from the central midfield from that respective side to 
to congregate to one side and then they'll switch it to the winger on the other side. And what that triggers is the fullback also making an overlap at the same time. So you have very little time to drop back and to, to prevent a double team. So that often catches teams off guard as well. So it's something that you have to watch. They're very quick. They are intelligent in the way that they can exploit your imbalances. And I think that's what makes them dangerous to, to sort of deal with. Jimenez, like I said, has picked up his form. He's now not just been a reference point, but he's also added goals to the mix, which he was doing before his injury at Wolves. Um, he will basically drop very deep. He'll try to drag centre-backs out. He will then knock it square or deeper to the attacking midfielders and then arrive late into the box to score goals. When you look at the other three midfielders behind, it's usually someone we know very well, Villian on the left. Uh, they've got Andres Pereira in the centre and then they've got Bobby Decaudover-Reed on the right. Now, because Villian is in an inverted position, he's a right-footed winger on the left-hand side, loves coming inside, loves getting those shots away. Something we didn't see a lot because you couldn't move Eren Hazard, but I think he's now enjoying the twilight of his career in his favourite position and he's arguably one of their best players. So he'll give you these shots from, from long range, he'll often come inside uh, to the centre, maybe even further. And what that does is the fullback on the right-hand side, so Gusto, for example, will have to come inside to make sure that the shot does not get away. Otherwise, the centre-back has to keep dropping out to prevent it, and that creates issues. Uh, but when the fullback does come in, it opens the entire wing for an overlap from, from Robinson. And, and those runs... Are, are extremely dangerous because they get dangerous deliveries in from the left-hand side. So that's essentially something that we have to cater to. I think a lot of the dangerous moments will come from that left-hand side, especially when Gusto has to defend over time. And he has to make sure that he doesn't get double teamed on. And whoever's the winger on that side has to drop and, and work extremely hard. So that's going to be one to watch. Um, I would also say that, you know, at Attacking midfielder Andres Pereira is somebody who's an interesting um, fit in, in that attack. He's their long-range threat and he's arguably their first reference point in transition. So whenever they try to break, he will go into those little pockets that appear. He'll turn quickly and then he'll spray passes, try to isolate Villian or, or Reed making runs in behind. So he's somebody who will be extremely dangerous. He's the leading assist provider with four. And these three guys, so if you take Jimenez, Villian, and Decodova Reed, uh, they've all got 13 goals put together, which is almost half of Fulham's 28 this season. So if you negate their, their front line, that front three, then I think you have a lot of joy in, in basically muting their threat, but easier said than done there. Um, the other thing that I'd like to mention is their off-ball stuff. Um, very aggressive pressers, so uh, expect them to go hungry on, on each of the centre-backs. They will chase the goalkeeper down. Petrovic, we know, um, can be a little bit hasty with his feet, so I think they will test him there. Um, they will try to go after uh, maybe the Sasi, I think, could be a pressing trigger if he gets the ball. Um, and then they usually press in a 4-3-2-1. So the attacking midfielders come narrow. Uh, Raul Jimenez will try to press the centre-backs. And what essentially that does is it blocks out the centre. And it forces people to go wide. 
which a lot of teams don't like to do. Brighton, for example, hate building out wide. So um, it's it's difficult to go past them when they when they press aggressively. So that's something that you have to keep an eye on. Other miscellaneous factors I'd like to highlight. Um, very strong on defensive set pieces. They've only conceded once from a corner and twice from set pieces all season. So that's also something to watch. I don't think we're going to get any joy if you cross the ball in like we did against Middlesbrough. So alternate strategy is needed and uh, lots of work to be done to to get past them. Well, Chelsea will definitely have their hands full as it comes to making sure we deal with those threats appropriately, particularly players who are finding their way into form. When you look at players like Rahul Menes, who is you know a getting a little bit of an overperformance right now when it comes to his goals, you know, an expected goal of a 0.32 per 90, and he's actually at a 0.41, so he's a little higher than what you would expect. Uh, not necessarily something Chelsea fans are going to want to see players who are actually performing above their expected goal when Chelsea are the absolute inverse of having high expected goal, but maybe not always converting our chances. So that will be something maybe to be concerned about, but they're not a perfect team. No team is. And there are some weaknesses that their team has and that, you know, that Chelsea will be able to take advantage of. Uh, how have those changed or evolved? Or are they the same weaknesses that we saw when we beat them 2-0? No, I think uh, it's also down to me watching a lot more of Fulham after that. And I've, I think I've noticed a couple of other things that, that may prove of interest to, to our analysts or, or to our fans who are watching the game. One thing that strikes out is because the fullbacks are asked to bomb up and support the wingers very frequently, a lot of the times if you transition down the same wing where they've used the winger and the fullback to to bomb forward, then you get a lot of success. And this particularly works because the centre-backs are not comfortable defending wide. If you get Tosin out wide, um, I'm guessing... Diop will start uh, now that Bassi is not there. If you get any of these guys wide, then it's an issue because they're not really suited for 1v1 defending um, on the break. So if you get a Mudrik or a Sterling against one of them, then there's a lot of success to be had. So that's something that you have to keep in mind. If, for example, Robinson bombs up, I would ask Petrovic to just throw it long on the same flank to the winger dropping deep. You know, pick it up in that pocket and run as hard as you can at the back line. Uh, you know, make sure Palinia is not around you. If he is, try to switch it somewhere in the middle or the other flank, but try to get against that that centre-back on the same side as quickly as possible before the full-back comes out. The second, I would say, when they're in settled, uh, out-of-possession shape, when they're in a 4-4-2 or a 4-1-4-1, Harrison Reed is somebody who's vulnerable. He's not very good at... Uh, picking up people who drop in between lines. So a lot of the times when Saka or Martinelli or any of those guys were dropping in between trying to find pockets, uh, he was reacting slowly. He was not able to get there quickly. So I think he could be an interesting option to exploit now that Alex Iwobi is not there. I, I think he he's definitely one to watch in central midfield. So if you can get Enzo or Palmer to to quickly turn around him, draw fouls, that could be an interesting thing to do. Um, I would also point out to their goals conceded in general. It's 35 goals now conceded in 20 games. So in general, it's been a, a slightly leaky defense. 
if you watch the game against Bournemouth, they managed to score a couple of screamers. And just the the speed with which you can get at them tends to be, you know, tends to cause a lot of chaos. So Bournemouth have some very good ball carriers. Uh, and a lot of the times they just dance through those, those first and second lines and that created panic in the centre-backs. And that's how they got two goals. And then the third one was just you know, hit with absolute thunder from 25 yards. So Leno's not been as good a goalkeeper as he was when we talked about it in the in the reverse fixture. So maybe you'd like to test him with with a couple of shots. I think that would be a good advice to give. And the last thing I'd probably say is something that's remained the same. I think um, transition-heavy nature is is something that leaves them very disorganized. It's the amount of times when they try to press hard or go direct, it can leave the back four and, and Joao Balinia extremely stranded and isolated. So um, counterattacks do work against them. You know, uh, if you if you get the ability to win the ball back in the middle third and, and try to get at them quickly, I think that's where you can cause a lot of damage. So uh, basically, these are the weaknesses. I'd also point out something that um, I, I sort of pointed out in in the first reverse, sorry, the reverse fixture podcast that that we did. Uh, it's the timing of the goals that they concede. So in the first sixty minutes, they've I think conceded eighteen goals, and they've conceded seventeen um, in the last thirty minutes of game. So the transition heavy nature, just the amount of running that they do, the amount of long distances that they have to cover going forward and going backwards can be an issue. So even if you are losing by 1-0, uh, touch word, God forbid, don't lose heart. I think in the last 15 minutes, in the last 20 minutes, is when you can really get at them and force mistakes. So these are probably the weaknesses I would target, you know, and then hopefully we can catch one of them and then exploit it over and over, which we haven't done in the past couple of games. So fingers crossed. As we think about how Pochettino and the team is going to have to find a way to exploit this Fulham side, it's maybe good to look back at who were the individuals on the pitch that day when Chelsea ended up winning 2 nothing. the goal scorers being Armando Broya and Michael Mudrik. It was a front three of those two plus one Cole Palmer. It was Enzo Fernandez, Moses Caicedo, and Connor Gallagher as your midfield grouping. And then Levi Colwell, Thiago Silva, Axel Di Sassi, and Mark Kukurea as your right back on the day with Sanchez between the sticks. So there are a couple of changes that are going to be forced. We know that Mark Kukurea is not necessarily available at the moment. This was actually... The Nicholas or Nico Jackson suspension game. It was his first card accumulation miss that he had. So it was something where Chelsea did have to get it done up top without him. So Armando Broya back into the fire against Fulham. And the individuals who came on that day Raheem Sterling, Nani Madueke, Leslie Ugochukwu. Ian Matson, who will have uh, no longer <laughs> no longer be available for selection, and Alex Matos as the uh, final uh, substitute amongst the bunch. And so, thinking about that, he actually has a fair number of the players who did did the duty and did a good job against Fulham in that match. And so, maybe for those who are concerned, ah, Nico Jackson's not available as much as he's been that individual who's leading the team in in goals. This is something where Chelsea have found a way prior previously in the season to get it done without him, and maybe we should feel a little bit more confident 
then going into this? Or would that be a foolish thing to do with this side? Interesting you mentioned that game because Harrison Reed had a nightmare in that game. And, you know, I think he's going to start one again. So how does that go psychologically? I think it was also the game where I I think it's the one, but I think the balance between Kaiseiro, Enzo and, and Conor Gallagher was arguably the best that I've seen um, in any game this far because both Conor and Enzo played as eights. It wasn't Enzo trying to be a number 10. It was just him trying to be uh, in the gaps where where Misha was creating with, with like pinning the fullbacks or if he was moving a little centrally, uh, he was creating an issue. So then Enzo Fernandez would just push a little further, get those gaps and, and try to, to put in deliveries from there. So I think that was a great performance. I hope that that's the balance that we can restore again with the same midfield three. And like you mentioned, I was a little worried about Armando Broya starting, but it's a good sign that, you know, he opened his account there um, in that game. I'm still a little worried against in terms of is he ready to read our line, lead our line this season and can he consistently provide the kind of threat that we need in the next couple of games or three or four games at the end of January, provided another centre-forward doesn't come in. And, and that's going to be a big, big audition for him. I think the the games leading up to the end of January or till whenever Nico Jackson comes back, he's essentially playing for his future. And, um, you know, that kind of pressure either makes players or breaks them. So it'll be interesting to see what his response is. And I really hope he comes out with flying colors. Well, that certainly would be ideal. And then the last big change then, or I guess maybe the two other ones to consider, is the fact that Correa is not available. Reese James is not available. We do have Malagusto, who is back healthy in this one. So I would imagine we see a little bit of tweaking there. And no Sanchez likely back, so it means Petrovic will be between the sticks. But I guess considering the fatigue that this team is undergoing the fact that they did look a little flat footed in the match against Middlesbrough. How much are you anticipating that we might see a remarkably different lineup than what we saw in that first match, Sam? To me, it just feels like if it worked previously and the pragmatist of Pochettino that, that he is basically, I think, opted for what maybe he views as the safe choice in a lot of different decisions this season. I almost feel like unless one of the players in this grouping outside of the ones we mentioned who are just not available are not in the red or not necessarily making themselves unavailable for the match, it just might be this. This might be the 11 he goes with. Yeah, it's probably safe to assume that he'd go with his strongest lineup. I am worried about Gusto. Um, he's essentially been been played every single 90 after his injury. So he played 89 last minute, uh, last game, and I was hoping that he would get the rest. But considering we were chasing a very important goal and, and obviously he'd delivered some, some good performances in the three games leading up to that game, we didn't really put him out. So I am worried about him being in the red. There is a lot of worry about, you know, Colville playing at left back, but we simply have no options. I don't think Poch will risk putting out Gilchrist against the likes of Villian and, and Robinson. That just doesn't make sense. So I think you have to keep going, unfortunately. The best thing that you can hope for is you can get a lead, which you can protect by 60 minutes, and then you can make those changes. And, and even then, I think Poch will remember the Luton game and say, 
do I have the liberty to do so? So, um, like you mentioned, even if it is players in the red, I think he will go for something that's the strongest 11. He has to. Fulham also have one day less to recover after the semi-final. So, um, arguably, that might also play into how the game goes in the latter stages of the half. So, I don't know if he saves a couple of changes for later on. I don't know if Mudrik starts, for example. It could be Sterling, uh, Palmer and Breuer. And then you bring somebody like a Mudrik against one of the tiring fullbacks. That could be an interesting option. Yeah, plenty of things to consider. And I know that, you know, we ultimately will give you that predicted 11 and our score predictions in a, you know, in this episode. But we're going to do that after our last break. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. All right, Sam. So I think we teased it. If it's not necessarily major surprises with Petrovic between the sticks, a Levi Colwell, Thiago Silva, Axel Di Sassi, and Malo Gusto backline, are you in, in full agreement that we will see that within this match? Or are you going to pivot and say that one of those positions may or may not change? Mm, yeah, I think that would be safe to assume. I don't know what Badia Shield's status is, whether he's fit for this one. Um, and he might come in. I think he might take Silver's place, maybe. Um, that perhaps makes a little bit of sense to me to figure if Silva has got, you know, the, the legs to play another important game just very, very shortly after. But I think this would probably be the defense that we that we go with. You've got Colville and Silva, Disasi and Gusto. I don't think you have any other room to maneuver there. So that remains the same. The same goes with midfield. We don't have Lavia. We don't have Uga Chupu, We don't have Chupu Mecca. So the midfield three remains the same. I think there's room to maneuver in attack. Noni Madueke has maybe given him a little bit of a headache to think. But I think it's it's good for maybe Mudrik and Madueke to come on 60 minutes and then try to create some kind of an impact because they are high-octane players who will who will repeatedly take on. And and when you're obviously in that game state, when you're later on in the game, having days less recovery time, having played an intense game against Liverpool, then those two players can offer you some kind of thrust going forward. So I think that's my read of it. But obviously, depending on a lot of internal factors that you and I are not privy to, could be something completely different. Well, and then we know that Enzo Caicedo Gallagher was the three, it feels likely that that uh, that does happen and then it comes down to the three up top you know we know that we saw sterling you know come out and not have the best day we know that uh, cole palmer you know on another day ends up with a a hat trick against middlesbrough and we're celebrating him as the cult hero that he should be so and then it is armando broya who potentially would be available to sit in the nine role it feels like that happens because we saw Sterling get the full appearance versus Middlesbrough. We only saw a little bit of a cameo with Mudrik, and that feels like that's the the swap that makes sense. Matawake was pulled early, and Armando Broya did come in um, and up top as a part of that swap when Matawake and Fernandez went out. Generally feels like this, is, this will be a copy-paste up top, but you could tell me that I'm going to be wrong, and I would be okay with that. I'm in full agreement. You know, I have some funky solutions, to be honest, but I don't think um, there will be brain space for Pochettino to say, let me try something adventurous. I don't think the fan base would be too opposed to it if if he does something absolutely out of the blue. I think we, at this point in time, it may just end up being 
you know, a, a stroke of genius that we desperately need. I would actually go without Troya and play Sterling up top, but that's just my brain tinkering around with stuff. Um, I, I think that they are very accomplished when they're defending stuff from wide in the box. And I think if you give them a little bit of a, of a roaming threat who's able to offer a threat on either wing, offer the overload threat on either wing, then maybe there's a chance that you can create something. But again, I think Poch will go something conventional. He will go with Broy up top. Um, he didn't also play the last game. So I think he must have been told that you're going to get this game to show what you have. So I'm guessing that's what he goes with. So I'm, I'm completely agreeing agreement with you, Dan. I don't think that there is just any space to experiment, especially with just a very threadbare squad. I think at this point, he's just praying on his knees that Nkunku comes back quick, Padyashil is fit. And then he can afford to try a couple of combinations around and hopefully play them for 10 games. But at this point in time, just he's just stretched thin. So I'm I'm hoping that he just goes with what he thinks is best then and, and persists with it and makes his changes on time. Let's just underline that. Yeah, I think that will be a big question is, you know, in in this game, in these moments, if things are are not going to plan, who is he going to be able to look to on the bench to try to be an impact player, to try and resolve things for Chelsea if uh, the conclusion of this match is in the balance or not yet decided by that, you know, 60th minute mark? I mean, in general... I think the only other maybe goal contributor that you could consider, I mean, Matawake has two on the season so far in the Premier League, but it's Raheem Sterling with five in total, who may be the other. And again, I know that people have differing opinions on every single player, but it feels like those are going to be the only two whacks that he'll have at it to try to change things up from an attacking perspective if it isn't working. Um, in this match. And so I think in general, you know, we, to your point, we don't have a lot of uh, additional options or alternatives for Pochettino to go through. I think that would be more in the defense, in the back line, potentially, where, you know, you do mention something like, you know, Alfie Gilchrist is, you know, he potentially get an opportunity if things are going right to spell Malagusto for a little bit so that, you know, he can continue to stay fresh, that he can continue to stay available, that he doesn't run the risk of, you know, re-aggravating the injury he had earlier this season because he went from being a signing that Chelsea made where we thought we were adding additional depth to and competition to a position to where due to injury, he is now the leading man for that position, that role for the foreseeable future until one Reese James finally returns from injury at some point in the undetermined future. So I think a lot that a lot is not necessarily subject to change. It's more just a nature of the reality, you know, the nature of Chelsea's reality, which is players aren't healthy. We have a ton of players who aren't available the recruitment has been a little wonky of the the profiles of who we've gotten in, where we've decided to reinforce at certain times, and the squad is having to try to find a little bit of luck on the bounce to get something across the line on some days. And you know, based upon Poch, based upon the players, it'll be interesting to see if we can get it done. With all that said, framing the game, staging the game, knowing that Chelsea could use this as a pivotal way to jump up the table and start to be in the area or in the areas that they like to be considered as a uh, potentially top, a top side, um, not just a mid-table team. 
Where do you think this one lands? Is it going to be another Chelsea win? Do we do the double over them this season? Or is it a draw? Is it a loss, which might send people <laughs> down into a very dark hole? Um, where, do, where are you thinking, Sam? Okay, so the, the pragmatist and the neutral person in me says it's going to be a draw. I, I do see this going to be a draw, like a 1-1 draw or a 2-2 draw even. But um, I do think that there's enough. And then considering the performance that we have against Middlesbrough, I think we will try and push. We've also done very well at home. Let's just give credit where it's due. So I think that will make a difference after a tough start to the year. And hopefully we can we can get a win. So heart says um, maybe 2-1. And Head says it's going to be 1-1 or 2-2. I'd love to hear your opinion here. Uh, I have to reject the the head and go straight for the heart and say that this Chelsea team will continue to yo-yo. And after a result that didn't go their way, they seemingly will stumble back into form for 90 minutes and get something done. Hopefully we can stitch two of those 90 minutes together over the next couple of weeks here and also get a result on the reversed fixture uh, against Middlesbrough so that we advance in the cup. Because as we know, this is Chelsea's last match before the little bit of a winter break that will happen. So Chelsea will not play again until January 23rd. So maybe some of that risk that desire to try to push players to maybe the extent of their readiness, their competitive ability to support this side will be of the utmost importance. And I think a 1-0 Chelsea win, given Fulham's struggles away from home, feels like a very good place for us to land. Anything that's a win feels like a good place to land, and Chelsea don't do a whole lot of clean sheets. But who knows? Maybe we'd like to start a, a, a new trend heading into the uh, the ha- second half of this month. <laughs> <laughs> new year, new me, hopefully. Like, fingers crossed. I mean, we sort of had it with the Preston yeah. game. We just didn't continue it. Mm, that's true. That's true. I think, I think it will again be. I'm just hoping that there's some kind of consistency from the players that he puts in. Uh, at this point, you don't know what Mudrik is going to do when you start him. Like sometimes he'll end up going diagonally and then cutting inside, which is absolutely great because he's attacking the space. And then sometimes he just goes up against three players trying to dribble past them. I, I hope that there's this point where you get a consistency in the decisions that he's making. And the moment that starts happening, when he starts making those decisions consistently for 90 minutes, I think that's when we turn a corner. And that's when that's when I think my head starts saying, you know what, just a little further and I think we'll be over the line. I think that's, that's very close. I've already seen some improvements from him and uh, hopefully he can just keep his head on straight and keep making those right decisions for longer. It's gone from virtually one good decision over two games to five or six of them over the game. Um, and hopefully if you can extend that over, you know, successive games, I think we'll have a very, very good player on our hands. And same goes for everybody else. You know, Palmer gets that hat trick on, on a different day. Madhuweke comes and gives us seven, eight take-ons on the right-hand side. So exciting potential. Um, it's like going back to Lampard season again, you know, watching who the next Mason Mount is, watching who the next Reese James is. And I hope we get at least two or three of those guys from the batch that we have. 
Well, we will have to see, but this match will be an opportunity for those individuals in the squad to try to continue to build their case, to make a stand, to make themselves immovable objects in Pochettino's 11 as players start to come back, hopefully fit and ready after this break, after this match. So that is going to do it for this episode, but let us know what you think. Will Chelsea get a win? Are Chelsea going to struggle against this Fulham side? Is this going to be a maybe down note um, for us to consider for a multi-week period as we wait to see what happens uh, during that time frame. Will Chelsea reinforce? Will we not reinforce? But we got a ton of podcasts to focus on the transfer side of the house. More content from our friends Naz and Matt. We have plenty of conversation going on in this court community. We've got the weekly newsletter from Sam. We have you listening and supporting the show, which we always appreciate. So thanks so much for listening to this episode. Thanks so much for Sam for all the hard work and due diligence to make sure we know where Fulmer at currently. And hopefully you enjoy the match with a Chelsea win. So fingers crossed for that. And until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.